This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So they needed a strategy. They had to say, what's the strategy? We gotta have a strategy to accomplish the goal of destroying him. They just needed to know the how. So they already know the what it was gonna do, destroy him. Now they had to have the how, and that's what this whole council was all about in verse 14, is that how they might destroy him. And when they went out, the Pharisees went out in their council, they had company. They weren't alone. There was others that came into this council in Luke 22 too. Luke 22 too, it says, the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. So, they're looking for this, how they might destroy him in, in verse 14. And at last, they found it. They really feel they've got it here in the breaking of the Sabbath. They said, oh, this is perfect. You know, when they started that council, they just felt like now we've got the reason for how we can destroy the Lord. The plan was falling very nicely into place for them as they planned on using the breaking of the Sabbath as their basis for seeing the Lord put to death because they had the scripture to back them up. In Exodus 35.2, the Exodus 35.2, it says, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh there shall be uh, to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. So they've got the scripture and they say, perfect. So the group of the council were the Pharisees and the scribes, very religious group, but then they're joined by another group in this council that's not religious at all. In Mark 3, 6, Mark 3, 6, it says, the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. So the Herodians, as a group, come in, they join the council and to determine how they're going to destroy the Lord. Who are the Herodians? Well, the Herodians are Jews, but they're loyal to King Herod. They're not religious Jews, they're secular, but they support King Herod. And this is the same King Herod who's just beheaded John the Baptist, 
and who's going to send the Lord later to his crucifixion. So the Herodians, what, what, what's their problem? Why are they angry at the Lord? They're very angry at the Lord because they're loyal to Herod, and they know how the Lord Jesus slipped through the finger, the murderous fingers of a Herod before, previous Herod, when he went and killed all the babies that were under two years old in an effort to kill the Lord. And so they hated the Lord, how he escaped the death of the former king, Herod. So what a group this is. We've got the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, the Herodians, and it's all about how they can get the Lord to deserve the death sentence for breaking the Sabbath. And so they carefully review what the Lord has done on the Sabbath to see if there's enough there. We can say he deserves the death sentence. And then they discuss how they might bait and goad him into to doing more to deserve death sentence for breaking the Sabbath. Now, the Lord is aware of this counsel. It says that when he knew, when he knew it in verse 15, but, but when Jesus knew it, he's aware of the counsel. He knows about what they're discussing and how they're discussing how they might destroy him. He knows uh, why he came to earth in the first place. And there's a phrase that's used for why he came to earth that's very interesting in this context. And he said in John 5.40, John 5.40, he said these words to the Pharisees, as a matter of fact. He said, you will not come unto me that you might have life. That's what he said. You will not come to me that you might have life in John 5.40. Then in another place, he said in John 10.10, John 10.10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then another place, he said in John 20, 31, John 20, 31, but these are written, or, or rather John said that, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. See, this is the phrase, these three words. The reason he comes to earth is to open this door for these three words that man might have life, might have life. Man's going astray, and man here, in this case, represented by the scribes, Pharisees, Herodians, all these different parts of sectors of society. And he's come that they might have life, and they're planning that he might have death. It's just so astounding. The person who's come so that they might have life is being scheduled for he might have death. And again, you can plug the word willing in there. He was willing to come that they might have life. He was willing to come to earth, they might have life. He was willing to be despised and rejected that they might have life. He was willing to die on a cross that they might have life. Everything the Lord suffers he suffered so that man might have life. That's just who he is. He is the might have life person. The person that they're plotting on to destroy, he's the one who's plotting for they might have life. So they hold on to this how they might destroy him counsel, and they decide to pursue this breaking of the Sabbath strategy. And it's kind of interesting that throughout his three years of public ministry here, they have really pursued this hard, the breaking of the Sabbath strategy. But in the end, 
when it comes down to the time when they will accuse him of deserving the death sentence, they don't bring it up. They don't use it. And as a reason, they just didn't have enough evidence to claim that, that he was worthy of death. So you see that in Matthew 26, 59, Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And at the last came two false witnesses who said, oh, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. You can really feel the frustration of them. They spent their whole time, the councils and everything, and the spies, and, and trying to amass all this evidence against them for breaking the Sabbath. And in the end, they look at it and they say, it's just not enough for us to bring the death sentences, sentence on him. Well, what happened? Well, anyway. Now we see what the Lord did when they held this council in verse 15. Verse 15, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. So as soon as he knows that he's in danger of being killed, he withdraws himself because, and that's interesting, we see this with the Lord, the Lord refuses to thrust himself into danger. He's not going to do that. Just like when the devil tempted him, you know, if you just, if you just, if you just came sailing down from that highest pinnacle there on top of the temple, oh, wow, what a scene that would be. Uh, splashed on the headlines. You would accomplish what you want. Oh, everybody's going to fall. Anyway, so that was the proposal that was put to him in uh, Matthew 4, 5. Matthew 4, 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and set up him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hand shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it's written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. See, in that case also, he refused to put himself in danger and then rely on God to get him out. And so we see this as a pattern in his life. When he knows there's danger, he leaves. See, John 7, 1, John 7, 1, and after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, where Jews were, because the Jews sought to kill him. And in addition, this is what he told his disciples also. He said to them in chapter 10, 23, we saw this in chapter Matthew 10, 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. This is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. So he's doing what he told the disciples to do. He's fleeing persecution. He's fleeing the persecution. So as he's making his getaway, the scene is tense. The scene is very tense. His enemies are in a meeting right at that moment trying to figure out how they're going to kill him, and he's fleeing for his life. And what does he do in verse 15? When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. So here's a group of people here, one group of people, council. They're trying to figure out how to kill him. He's fleeing. And then there's these large groups of people that have come and they're following him. And these people who are following him, they have needs. They have needs to be healed. And they don't care that the enemies of the Lord are meeting and having a meeting. To, well, they probably don't even know. Don't even know. They're trying to figure out how to kill the Lord and that he's fleeing his enemies. Those people, all they care about is that this is their chance to get healed. Here he is. And they're, they're there. Now, you might think that 
the Lord might say to these people, uh, look, folks, uh, I would like to heal you, but at the moment, I'm running to save my life. So if you don't mind, let me just disappear quick, and then we'll you know, make an appointment or whatever. You know? <laughs> but that's not what the Lord did. Even though the Lord's life was in danger, and even though he was on the run, when the Lord saw these great multitudes in verse 15, his compassion triggered in him an instinct that overrode any concern to protect himself. And he had to stop. He had to stop, and he had to heal those people who followed him. Even if it meant that during that time that he was going to do that, he might be caught and killed by his enemies. And the Lord saw it as the risk that was worth taking because the people came first. They came before him. And it wasn't just one or two people there in that group. It was a great multitude is what it says in verse 15. He healed them all. We don't know how many, but he healed them all. Had to be a large number. And that's who the Lord is. Even when he's suffering, in this case, fleeing for his life, he reaches out from his own personal suffering to heal the suffering of others. That's the Lord. The Lord is the one who reaches out of his suffering to heal the suffering of others. That's exactly what we see him doing on the cross. He's suffering on the cross. His body is broken. His hands, his feet have been nailed to the cross. And he looks at the soldiers who have just done that to him, and he feels not his pain. He feels their pain. He feels the pain that they would face in judgment. And so from his suffering, he reaches out and he asks forgiveness for the soldiers in Luke 23, 34. Luke 23, 34, then said Jesus' father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and his cast lots. He did this because he felt the pain of the soldiers in what they would feel in judgment. He's suffering on the cross, and he feels this terror, not of his own terror, but he feels this terror of a person next to him, a thief who's also been crucified. And this thief next to him is afraid that that day he's going to be cast into hell. That's the terror of this thief. And the Lord feels that. So from his own suffering, he reaches out to calm that thief with a promise in Luke 23, 42. Luke 23, 42. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You feel that? Can you hear the desperation of that man? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And this is what we see the Lord doing in verse 15 here. Verse 15, he healed them all. He's running for his life, but he's stopping to heal. Now, after he's healed the people there, he tells the people something very, which seems to us very strange in verse 16. Verse 16, he charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Now, this is a very important part. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. So the people 
are healed. They realize he is the Messiah. And he tells them not to make him known. He tells them, don't tell people that. The people see that there's no physical problem that he cannot heal. And they realize he must be the person of Isaiah 9-6. Isaiah 9-6, he must be the mighty God. He must be the mighty God. And we're told in verse 19 that the reason, and he tells them, don't tell anyone, and we're told in verse 19, the reason that he tells the people not to make him known is because of this verse, which is read there, but which is also quoted in Isaiah 42.2, Isaiah 42.2, he shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. So what is that? What does it mean to cry, to lift up, to have the voice heard in the street? It means protest, protest. This is outrageous that the Messiah should be persecuted. He has a right to not be killed for healing on the Sabbath. He's the Messiah. He's God. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's God. And here are great multitudes of people. They're following him. They know who he is. And they're loyal to him. And all he's got to do is just lift up his voice and those people are ready to fight and there's a huge army of them. They're ready to overthrow his enemies and he has the right to have those multitude that he's healed to now protect them. They owe it to him. He has a right to be protected, but he's taken a different road. He's taken a different road, and that's the road of verse 19. Verse 19, he's taken the road of he shall not strive or resist, nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. He's chosen the path of not fighting, of not crying out. Okay, so he's chosen this path of not fighting, not crying out, not yelling, and no one's going to hear him protest. He's not, he's not going to be heard in the street. He's not going to be heard in the street. No one in the street is going to hear him demand his rights because he's giving them up. He's giving up his rights. What humility. What meekness is this? He told us to learn this about him. He told us in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Matthew eleven twenty nine. in the previous chapter, he said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. So we're learning of him, of how he's meek and lowly in heart. We're learning of him, of how he's giving up his rights. He told other people to give up their rights. He told other people to give up their rights to not have their cheeks slapped. When he said in, in Matthew 5.39, Matthew 5.39, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So by not standing, by not defending himself against his murderous enemies, we see something here in the Lord that's very characteristic of him, which is Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7. He made himself of no reputation. Now, the Greek behind this uh, translation, he made himself no reputation in Philippians 2.7. The Greek is a verb, kenu, kenu, which is translated in Romans 4.14. Romans 4.14, that word is translated void, void. It says in Romans 4.14, 4, 
For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. Faith is made canoe. That's what it means. So canoe means to make void or to empty, to empty. So Philippians 2.7 really is saying he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Now, just think of a picture and think of the act of pouring the contents out to empty the picture. That's the picture of what the Lord does, did, when he gave up his rights. He emptied himself. He depleted himself. And this is the hallmark characteristic of the Lord. He emptied himself. So in verse 15, in these verses, 15 and 16, he emptied himself of his right to protect himself. In John 6.15, John 6.15, he emptied himself of his right to become king. To become king. John 6.15, John 6.15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. In Psalm 22.6, Psalm 22.6 and Mark 9.12, he emptied himself of his right to receive the praise of Israel, to receive the praise of Israel. It says in, in Psalm 22, 6, Psalm 22, 6, he said about himself, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Despised of the people. In Mark 9, 12, 9, Mark 9, 12, he said, the son of man, that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. So in Isaiah 49, 7, Isaiah 49, 7, he had the right to be accepted by his people Israel, but he emptied himself of his right to be accepted by his people Israel, as it says in Isaiah 49.7, Isaiah 49.7, Then saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth. I can't ever get over that. He is the one who man despises and whom the nation of Israel absolutely abhors, abhors. I really do try to figure out why I cannot get uh, Israeli citizenship under the right of return, which gives the right of every Jew, no matter where he comes from, to become a citizen of Israel. And it's really just because I said in the interview that I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ. And this verse, to him whom the nation abhorreth, that name, Jesus Christ, you know, even though I was raised in this prejudice also, it's like this. This is the way I see it. When you stand and you look back on the history of the Jewish people as a path, their history as a path, what you see on that path is blood. The history of the Jewish people is a path that is lined in blood, Jewish blood. Blood, blood, blood. Everybody is shedding Jewish blood. The Egyptians shed Jewish blood. The Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks, the Russians, the Spaniards with the Inquisition, the Nazis, the Arabs. Who hasn't shed Jewish blood? Just blood there. And so you look back on it and you say, why? Why? How does, how does the Jewish people, how does Israel, how do the Jews see the reason for why the historical path is paved in Jewish blood? Why? And the reason is this verse, him whom the nation abhorreth, the reason is Jesus Christ. That's what they believe. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.